You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Well, good morning. It's uh, it's great to be able to share with you this morning what I believe God has laid upon my heart, what I believe he wants to communicate to you today. And I really believe that he wants to say something to you, whether you know him or not. So I encourage you to listen, not just with your ears, but with your heart, because with your ears, you'll hear what I have to say. But it's with your heart that you're going to hear through the spirit of God, what he wants to communicate to you. Uh, Part of the reason I believe this so firmly today, I mean, I believe that every time that we preach that God wants to speak to you, but particularly today, I'm excited about it because on Wednesday, Wednesday, something incredible happened. Uh, now, Eddie had sent me the PDD 51 video that he'd recorded. If you're not sure what that is, go to our videos and look for PDD 51. It's only two minutes long. You'll see what I mean. Now, I always check these videos that they work, etc., just before I upload them to Facebook. And about 30 seconds in, Eddie held up a piece of paper to the screen. And as that came into focus, I saw that it was Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 on this piece of paper. And it made me just stop the video right there and call him in a ridiculously excited manner. Because I kid you not, on my desk at that exact moment in time, I had this piece of paper. Yeah, exactly the same verse. No communication with Eddie whatsoever. No way. Out of all of the verses in the Bible that he could have picked that I could have picked for this Sunday. Um, And it happens to be this verse. Now, the other thing that's incredible about this is I rarely do that where I print out a verse and, and write and scroll all over it. That's not my normal method for preparation. And so there's an incredible non-coincidence here um, that really encouraged me, firstly, that this was the right message for this Sunday, but also that God was doing something really powerful through it and would do something powerful through it. Now, the verse says this, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Excuse me. Now, what are we talking about with these straight paths. Eddie kind of talked about how when he's coming into land as a pilot, they're led in by a cross, which literally guides them home. What do we mean by straight paths here? We, I guess we see it as life, right? I mean, that's how you and I would interpret that, that he will make our lives kind of straightened out and uh, maybe by which way we can access the good life, however we imagine that to be, or as Jesus put it, life in abundance. Yes, that's kind of part of it, but are we talking about a removal of turbulence or uh, an eradication of obstacles? Or are we saying that whichever way we walk, whatever route we choose, however we choose to live our lives, he will ultimately straighten it all out for us if we just trust him along the way? Well, the Hebrew word that's translated into English uh, as straight is the word yassar. Uh, And it's used in different places in the Bible, and it can mean smooth, pleasing, agreeable, free of obstacles. Doesn't that sound like the kind of pathway forward that you and I would love to be walking right now? Now, don't get me wrong. I think that that stuff is intended to be in the text and in the interpretation to some level. But I want to offer a slightly different angle because the Hebrew word yasa can also mean correct or right. 
which doesn't it indicate that then there is an incorrect or a wrong and therefore trust in the Lord and he will plant you on the right path. So another way to look at it is to say when a parent says to a teenager after the party come straight home they're not using the word straight to mean plot a course in a straight line from the venue to the house, regardless of people's gardens and ponds and hedges, uh, regardless of rivers, roads and roofs. There's three R's for you right there. But but in the statement, come home after the party straight away, there is a protective directive, a protective directive. And what they mean is don't delay. Don't be distracted. Don't stop for anything. Don't go elsewhere. Head towards your intended destination. They mean get your butt home safely. Be single-minded in that endeavour. Fix your eyes upon the finish line, which is safely home. Because the parent cares, so come straight home. There'll still be obstacles to navigate on that journey home. And then for us, the the paths may be straightened out as we trust God so that we know the way we can fix a course. But there still remains upon the journey ups and downs, difficulties and stresses and strains. And of course, there's also the chance of multiple distractions. Like when I'm out driving and I'm like, oh, there's a McDonald's. (laughs) Jess, we're going to have to stop here. Now, this is a very, really significant time where many people are searching for stability, hoping for some road forward that isn't going to be as hard as we anticipate at this moment in time, hoping maybe for a smooth transition back to normality and also hoping for pleasing or agreeable terms for our bank balances. And deeper still, I think there's uh, something occurring of a spiritual realisation that material gain is a fickle friend, that whatever we value and we love is vulnerable. Literally everything material that we have is shakeable and takeable. And perhaps some are realising that their priorities have been vastly bent out of shape. Now, maybe, sadly, this is true even in the church where we've perhaps allowed work and deadlines and society and professionalism and relationships and comfort and stability stand upon a podium with God even competing for our attention, our affections and our intentions, and sometimes even crowding him out of the picture a little. Now, perhaps now for many, the path feels anything but straight, filled with the corners of fear and anxiety and uncertainty. Maybe some of you are even questioning, am I on the right path at all? Uh, And if I'm not, how do I get back on track? How do I get onto that right path? Because security, certainty, confidence, assurance and hope are still achievable and accessible, even in the midst of struggle and difficulty and instability and uncertainty. How? So really, this straight path is about the direction of your life, of your character and ultimately of your destiny, which is safely home. So we're going to read the whole of that section of Proverbs from 1 verse 1 to 12 in Proverbs 3. It's going to come up in the comments as well. As a big shout out to Jess doing that. Well done. Don't know how you do that so quickly. So from verse 1 it says this, my son, do not forget, excuse me, my son, do not forget my teaching, 
but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. This is a father giving advice to a son. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, and then you will win favour and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun the evil. And this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops. And then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and, and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father and it's a father writing this, as a father, the son he delights in. I love the book of Proverbs. I, I, I love it because it's so wonderfully down to earth and it's packed with great wisdom, great advice. But we need to be careful in these things. that They aren't seen to be like some kind of tick list of ifs and thens. If I do this, then I achieve this. If I remember teaching and keep commandments then I'll receive a long and peace-filled life if I remain loving and faithful then God uh, and people will favor me I'll make for myself a good name if I give money to God carefully calculated of course then God will provide me with great prosperity well, the danger of seeing it that way is that we end up feeling short-changed or even offended if we don't receive health or overflowing resources and luxuries, or if people don't recognise our giftings or elevate us to the platform we feel that we deserve. Now, God is not a vending machine from whom we can purchase the details of our best life now if we simply punch in the right code or adhere to the right formula. So is God lying? Is the Bible lying here? Or is it dangling an impossible carrot before us? Like, ha you can't achieve this, but this is what you need to do. Well, no, he's not. But, but God knows what we are and what we are not capable of. Uh, for you and me, for us, there is a big problem with the if. We have to remember that we're not able to fulfil the ifs of Scripture. We will all fall and fail at some point. Not one of us is able to keep his commandments. We regularly forget his teaching. We often let go of love and faithfulness, substituting them for anger and scorn and hatred and mockery and unfaithfulness. Uh, do, do we really always honour God with our wealth? Or do we sometimes recoil at the very notion of giving to him? We, we don't like to talk about money in the church or even in society. Really, we find the very notion of it a bit crass, a bit crude. Uh, and don't we often find that we despise the idea of discipline? How dare you tell me what to do? Surely discipline shouldn't hurt or cost how could that possibly be loving? And so we despise authority and we see discipline as a shackle that needs to be cast away. So we want the health, we want the prosperity, we want the pleasant pathways, we want the acclaim, we want the favour in the sight of God and our fellow man. But our hunger for these things and our pursuit of such things betrays the focus of our real attention, our real affections, our real intentions, which is the self. I don't really want the giver, I just want the gift. 
I don't want to do stuff, but I want this amazing life. And it's a tragedy, one that God is fully familiar with. He knows that what we cannot achieve this. And, and so in an amazing act of grace, he is going to provide the pathway. God is going to provide the straight path for us. He knew that no man would be able to fulfil the law, not even the ten most famous ones. We would all fall within the first ten steps upon the straight path. So we need someone to fulfil the ifs of scripture on our behalf. We need someone who is able to lead us onto that straight path. In fact, actually, we need someone to be that straight path. And that's why Jesus is needed. Fully God and fully man, able to identify with and represent humanity in every way and at the same time satisfy the righteous requirements of the law. So if it's not about doing because we can't, then what is this? What's the glue here between this and this? Well, the glue in all of this, the active ingredient, if you like, that grants access into this straight path home to the provision that Jesus has purchased for us and to the home that he is making for us, the glue is trust. Now, that means to put confidence in, to depend upon, to have faith in, to believe upon, to rely upon. Trust is what adheres us, sticks us to the Lord, literally keeps us stuck to him so that he may lead us home safely, perhaps through trials, through many dangers, toils and snares, but in his goodness leads us home. The straight path is not always obstacle free. You know that, right? But by trusting, we know that he will navigate around and through everything faithfully and that our destination is assured and that by the time we get there, we will also be fit for entrance into that house with many rooms. I mean, that's amazing. He doesn't just lead us, but he also prepares us along that journey as well. And real trust is not formulaic. It doesn't require a range of complicated religious practices and traditions. That's not trust. That's not faith. And it's not about you proving yourself to God, because that's actually about you putting yourself back in the driving seat and putting trust back in your own abilities. Your abilities are not good enough. You cannot achieve. And we kid ourselves when we think that we can. But neither is real trust passive or dormant. So it's not about doing, but at the same time, there is an activity within it. To simply say, I trust or I believe or I'm a Christian, I go to church, etc., etc., that's not actually enough. Trust is active. It requires something of you in its activity. You, you need to position yourself within it. You need to choose to trust, decide to trust. So, so within trust, what is actually required of you? How do you define and identify genuine trust? I believe there are three markers, and I'm going to go through these quite quickly, but there are three active markers of trust so their activities and their markers three choice-led active ingredients the first one is this lean not it's in the text lean not on your own understanding why is, is there a problem with my wisdom come on is there a problem with my learning or my logic or my ability to rationalize look all too often we 
value our own wisdom and our own understanding, even considering in our thoughts and actions that maybe God's wisdom is a bit foolish. The notion of a God, the notion of a creator, the notion of Jesus, that's foolishness. When we elevate our own wisdom, we have to actively keep this all in check. Anything in our thinking that we consider to be wise, we kind of need to reject. And anything that seems sensible, a wise place to land our trust, apart from being in God, we need to be very careful with. Avoid that trap of placing your trust anywhere else. Don't place it in money, not in bricks and mortar, not in circumstances, not in other people around you, regardless of how much you like them or how reliable they've been in the past. Everyone and everything is shakeable and can let you down and disappoint you. And, and not even your own understanding, wisdom or rationale or ability to weather the storm, fight the fight or resist the difficulties are good enough. They are all shakeable. Now, we are smart, but we're not half as smart as we often think we are. And God's wisdom makes our wisdom look like foolishness. So don't lean on these things. Don't lean on stuff that we would naturally trust in the material or in our own heads and hearts, but lean towards God. Number two, submit your ways. That's the second marker of activity is to submit to him. I don't really like that word because it means I'm giving somebody else authority and I'm submitting under that. Like it's kind of like handing an essay though into a trusted lecturer a lecturer for reviewing or marking. It, it requires some humility, a, a willingness to be corrected and challenged and even disciplined. And even when I give Jess some of my letters or emails or messages, like there's, there has to be a humility there, which I fail a lot, but because I'm, I'm effectively saying I'm submitting this to you so that you can tell me what I'm doing wrong. Now, we allow him to scrutinise the intentions of our hearts, our desires, our action plans, our hidden agendas. That's submitting to God. We allow him to do this through his word, by reading it, and through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and the more we allow him room for this, the more we'll experience that and the easier it becomes to hear him. So so we lean into him and submit to him. And then the third thing is this word, all. Uh, there's for us an immense difficulty in the trust, in the lean not and in the submit. And the difficulty is found in the, this third marker. Uh, it's the Hebrew word, kol. Kol, it means whole. It means all. It means everything. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. All of your heart, all of your ways, everything, the whole bag, the whole lot. In other words, trust him with everything that you are, with your whole being, with your full, your decisive, conscious character and submit all of your ways. Not some, not partial bits, not selective bits, but everything. We, we can't say to God, you can have this, but uh, I don't really want you to have this. That's not surrender. Everything that you do, everything that you have, everything that you plan, everything. 
To do less is to serve two masters. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money, or mammon is the word there. You can't have split affections here. And that's rugged, that's comprehensively everything, and that's the cost of faith. All. Col. But, like... The man who found treasure in the field and went away and sold up everything and uh, he had in order to go and purchase that field and secure the treasure, it is worth it all. The straight path home is worth everything that you and I have and it's worth everything that we are. So as I wrap up, I just want to draw your attention to the object of this trust so that you know how utterly worthwhile it would be to give all. Through all of this, God has actually been pointing us to himself in him, in knowing him, in acknowledging him, in submitting to him, and in delighting in him, and in trusting him is the real blessing, the real prosperity, the real health, the real lasting joy and peace. So he should be the absolute object of our trust, the Lord, God himself, through Jesus Christ. We, we trust that he has gone before us, that he has fulfilled everything required of the law, that, that he has lived a life that we could not on our behalf, that he has paid the price for our freedom, that he has paid the debt that we owed, that he has satisfied the wrath of God that was against our sin and our sinfulness, and that he is able to lead us and that he will lead us through every trial and storm in life on straight paths as we trust in him through the storms, as uh, Margaret also said last week. Now, I want you to check out a couple of his credentials here. This is the one in whom you're placing your trust, or I'm suggesting that you place your trust. He is the one who spoke matter into being. He is the one who eclipses time and space. He is the one who is eternally unshakable. He is the one who called governance over the wind and the waves and can control them. He's the one who can command lifelong sickness to leave as if it was an unwelcome drunk guest at a party. He's the one who could shatter the shackles of death itself and unbind the sin that has so outrageously entangled us so utterly. Now contrast that person who we trust in with everything else that we could trust in. Everything, <coughs> excuse me, that we do find ourselves trusting in. Our ability, our skills, our good looks, our wisdom, our learning, our wealth, our popularity, our location, our friendship circles, our pension plans, our security. I mean, all of these things are actually ridiculously fragile. We can lose them all in an instant. And ultimately, even if we don't lose them while we live, all of these things are temporary. Not even in comparison to God. There is no comparison. And even if God didn't exist, which he does, but even if he didn't, all of these things are still perilously precarious. They're ultimately completely unrewarding and unsatisfying because they are temporary at best. 
And so God is able to do more than we can imagine because he is infinitely greater than anything that we could compare him to. He is higher than our highest thought. He is greater than our greatest desire. Now, I'm really landing this now. This straight path stands alone as the route home. There are no multiple roads from which to choose from that you know, roads that would eventually all lead the same way to the same destination. That's not true. It's not true that all religions are the same. It's simply not. And that would be another message for another day. Neither is it true that I'm basically a good person. So dot, 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 you know, come on, God, sort me out because I'm basically one of your best. That's not true either. This straight path is it's not multiple paths and it is not a broad path either. It's not like a motorway with many lanes and comfortable tarmac. Jesus says in Matthew 7, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through that. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it sadly Many will miss this path, either not finding it for all their wanderings, despite all the signs that point to this path. Others will find it and they will reject it, surmising that the path is too prescriptive or restrictive or or too difficult through their own understanding of it. And this is exactly where Eddie Lance is playing. He says, follow the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the narrow gate through which he has provided us a straight path home. If we trust him with all that we are and with all that we have, he alone will make for us a straight path that leads home. And I encourage you to hear his voice calling you onto that path today and that you would turn from trusting your things and turn to trust in him fully. I'm just going to pray.